graphics or gameplay, which is more important? Uh, hopefully you can hear the bunny quotes there. Is a shiny veneer more important than an engrossing gameplay mechanic? Can't we just have both? What if we have neither? All of these questions and more will not be answered in this episode of Raw with Jay. This is the Waffling Taylor's Roll with Jay, a series of shorter episodes of indefinite length. These episodes will cover shorter topics which don't really fit within the scope of the show, or topics that I want to cover in my own way. Uh, that's not to say that we won't cover these topics in the main show, but I'd like to take a whack at them here first. Anyway, let's get to it. Graphics versus gameplay. Firstly, this episode, rant, whatever, was inspired by a tweet from Twitter user PlaySushiUK. Those who have heard our bonus episode with the folks behind Lockon, uh, there'll be a link directly to it in the show notes, will recognise PlaySushiUK as Jason Madison, one of the folks behind the upcoming gaming journal. Anyway, Jason had this to say. It just feels like all I see in this exercise is mental masturbation and dick-waving to try and prove a point as to which chosen console of yours can achieve this and that in terms of performance. What about story, mechanics, animation, collision detection, trigger events, etc.? He was referring to a tweet by another user who had posited that It's bizarre nowadays that a lot of people I see who play a game are highlighting 4K, 60 frames a second, graphics, better textures, any technical jargon you can throw up basically instead of talking about gameplay, story, characters and music first. There are some who do, but we're in the minority. Uh, Check the show notes for links to those tweets, by the way. And if you're not already following Jason, then you really should be. This is another example of an age-old argument which goes back to the playground at school, unless you're a long-in-the-tooth gaming journal, and by that I mean from the 80s at least. Remember when I brought this up in the previous Raw with Jay on gatekeeping? And it's an argument which worked back in the day, because each console had completely different architecture and completely different graphics hardware. This meant that the games which were ported to different consoles naturally had a different graphical experience. Go look into the differences between the original Resident Evil on the PlayStation versus the Sega Saturn version, for instance. But since modern consoles are effectively PCs running Unix-like operating systems, that argument has been nullified. I mean, let's take a look at the PS5 versus the Xbox Series X graphics hardware, for instance. In the white corner, spotting black trunks with white stripes, it's the PS5, weighing in with a custom AMD RDNA 2 with 36 compute units with a variable frequency up to 2.23 GHz. And in the black corner, spotting the white trunks with the black stripes. Seriously, the official colour branding guidelines even use the same colour palette. That's how similar they are is the Xbox Series X, weighing in with a custom AMD Radeon RDNA 2 architecture with 52 compute units at 1.825 GHz. Let's look at some of those terms, because we don't want to get lost in alphabet soup. First, both GPUs are created by the same company, AMD, with them both being the AMD Radeon RDNA 2 architecture. But even that argument is nullified by the fact that both are custom designs, 
so they don't match anything on the PC market. Both GPUs support a number of CUs, or compute units. Technically, and I mean technically, the more of these you have, the more things you can compute. But with the PS5 having fewer but faster CUs than the Xbox, they almost even out. Interestingly, both consoles have the same CPU as well, the Xbox version being 0.3 GHz faster than the PS5 version. Uh, that's roughly 300 MHz, or the speed of an Intel Pentium MMX from 1999. Both CPUs also support SMT, or Simultaneous Multithreading. Uh, this allows for multiple threads to work independently of each other, but it can bring overall performance down in some instances. Side note, CPUs, threads, kernels, and coffee. When you ask your computer, phone, console, or whatever, to do something for you, the kernel, that's the very core of the operating system, will create one or more threads. Uh, most often it'll be a single thread, but we won't go into multi-threaded apps just yet. The thread is told what you want to do, which code to run in order to do it, and will be allotted time on one of your CPU cores in order to do the work. CPU architecture in timesharing is a non-trivial task, so I'm not going to go into it too deeply here. Assuming that the thread can complete the task in the time allotted on the CPU core it was loaded onto, it will then close and be reused by something else. Again, it'll be assigned by the kernel. A good rule of thumb is that a CPU will have twice as many threads as CPU cores. Uh, that isn't a hard and fast rule, but it's generally right. Also, none of this applies to software threads, which are a completely different beast. So let's talk about that with a metaphor. Imagine you're in a coffee shop and there's someone working the cash register and four baristas behind the counter, two for each bar on the coffee machine. When a customer places an order, uh, that's a user requesting a task to be completed, the person working the cash register, the girl, hands the order off to one of the baristas, a CPU thread, who then makes the order using one of the coffee machine's bars, a CPU call. By doing this, Technically, the coffee shop can handle four times as many orders at once than a coffee shop with only one barista. But what happens when two baristas want to use the same bar on the same coffee machine? You get into what's called a deadlock. This affects performance and causes a bottleneck. No one can make any more drinks until the bar is clear. As metaphors go, it's not great, but it gets the point across. So the hardware is very similar, but the code will be completely different, right? Nope. Chug tester. Almost all modern video games use an off-the-shelf engine, either Unity or Unreal. Uh, we're not going to talk about the RE engine and Capcom just yet, because that's a completely different beast altogether. This is because it's faster to get started making games for all of the pre-existing consoles using a pre-existing engine and toolset, especially if it already does all the hard work of cross-compiling. Uh, that's building everything for the game, but for different consoles and computers and CPUs and all that kind of stuff for each console for you. As such, each of the off-the-shelf engines has to spit out code which runs on all of the target consoles. Let's say that you're making a game for PS5, Xbox Series S, Series X, and the Nintendo Switch. The weaker, again bunny quotes, hardware in that list is the Switch. Uh, I've intentionally ignored the PC for now. And that means that the code must run on the Switch. Sure, there'll be tons of optimizations in the code base for those specific consoles, but the core code, which will be compiled for all of those formats, must run on the Switch. Otherwise, it would be a waste of time using an off-the-shelf engine in this instance. 
All this means is that since the core code will be virtually identical across all different ports of the game, the game itself will run almost identical across them all, including any graphical assets. And if we're arguing over 0.05 teraflops of a difference, or ray tracing versus no ray tracing for a game where you're never going to notice the difference, then what's the point? Enter gameplay and story. With all that said, and with the flimsy proof that the experience will have to be very similar across all platforms, gameplay and story will always trump flashy graphics, and here's why. Have you ever watched an experimental film? Some folks love them for their artistic endeavour, and I'm not attempting to knock them at all. But have you ever wondered why experimental films don't have mass market appeal? It's likely because they're mostly style over substance. The majority of experimental films have almost no plot to them, but they do endeavour to make a statement in a way which will grab you through their visuals. As such, I equate them to a game with out-of-this-world graphics, but nothing in the way of gameplay or story. Imagine reading a novel about a detective. In this novel, nothing happens. The detective travels to their office, sits behind their desk and stares at the door hoping for a client to enter, but no one ever does. Now imagine that the author spends 350 pages describing in excruciating detail how those 8 hours pass. Now imagine that you know ahead of time that nothing happens in this book. Would you read it? I'm sure that some of you would, and I'm sure scholars would too, if only to discover how the author had achieved this Herculean task. But most people wouldn't. Now imagine a game which had out-of-this-world graphics. It looks so real you could swear that it opens up a window into some fantastical world. But now imagine it has no story. It's the equivalent of the novel I just mentioned. There are no controls, because the game starts when the detective sits behind their desk and continues to the end of their workday, at which point the game is over. Not a very engrossing game, and one which is not likely to win any awards. Sure, my example here is facetious, but imagine the opposite end of the spectrum. Imagine a novel where there are deeply rich characters and an engrossing story with multiple side stories all happening at once. It has metaphor and asks questions of the reader. It has content and is weighty with it. Which of the two novels do you think would be more enjoyable to read? Now imagine the game version of that novel, except that the game starts with an introduction to the main character and why they became a detective in the first place. The actual gameplay starts with the detective waking up and you literally have to get them out of bed, dressed and on their way to work. Which sounds more like you could play it. Everyone does this comparison, so I'm in good company. But let's look back on the 8-bit era. The best you could get out of the majority of consoles was 128 colours on screen. And a shed load less than that for home computers. But the developers and designers used what they could to make those games engrossing and fun to play. I would posit that the Super Mario Bros. on the NES would have been just as fun in grayscale as it was in colour. In fact, it was. There was a version released for the Game Boy, admittedly with a different name and slightly different story, Super Mario Land. The creators of those games knew that there were technical limitations to the hardware that they were using, so they worked around them. This led to innovations and games which had deep narratives. Imagine if Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest or The Legend of Zelda didn't have the story and gameplay mechanics that they had. 
they would never have sold as well as they did and wouldn't have become the media franchises that they are today. I'd argue that those titles are still as playable today as they are back then, although most folks would probably avoid the NES TMNT game. All without ray tracing too. Side note, ray tracing. Let's talk about ray tracing for a moment, as it seems to be one of the technical buzzwords du jour. So what is ray tracing? Seriously, what is it? I'll give you some time to tell me. Well, what is it? Couldn't tell me? But it's so important to modern video games, right? You can't play a game without it, right? Well, what is it? So here's what ray tracing is. Did you ever make dioramas? If not, take a shoebox, lay it on its side and arrange some items in it so that it resembles a tiny room. Ray tracing is a process by which an invisible ray is fired from the viewer's point of view into the diorama. Anytime this invisible ray hits an item, the angle at which it reflects off of it is calculated, it's reflected and it continues to move until it's out of sight. This is repeated for every pixel in the frame. But why? What does it do? Well, ray tracing solves two problems. Occlusion and lighting. Occlusion is where one item or thing is placed in front of another. Grab two items and put them one in front of the other. I've got a coffee cup and a phone. If you put the coffee cup in front of a phone, you'll only see part of the phone. Knowing this ahead of time, when you're rendering a scene, helps you to not waste time rendering the parts of the things that you can't see. This helps to optimise the render loop, making it faster to draw everything on screen. Why waste precious time drawing something that the player is never going to see? The other thing that ray tracing does is it allows for more realistic lighting and shading effects. If you know where the light source is, and how it affects the scene, then you can make the scene look more realistic. Part of this work can actually be done ahead of time too, and stored on disk. Meaning that rendering the scene is even more efficient. None of this is actually required to make the game more playable, it just looks nicer. Uh, that is, until some indie developer makes a game where you are the ray tracer. So the next time someone says, No ray tracing? Literally unplayable. You can tell them what it means because they likely don't know what it means either. Sure, great graphics can help to sell a game, but they're not the be-all, end-all, because once the sheen is worn off, you still have to play the game. Take the movies, for example. We might show up for all the flashy stuff, like the special effects or some big scene that we've always wanted to see. I'm looking at you, Avengers Assemble. But you can bet your bottom dollar that the majority of the butts on seats are there for the content, not the presentation. Because if it's just a special effects-a-thon with no story, drama, character, or actual point, the majority of people will stop paying attention. And when you stop paying attention, you go looking for the next shiny thing, and that's not what a game developer or indeed a movie director wants. They want you to stick with their product for as long as possible. So stop talking specifically about tech specs and graphics terms, okay? In closing, here's the thing about these Raw With J episodes. They're my opinions. If you prefer a game to be all style and no substance, then more power to you. I prefer more substance than style, but that's just my tastes. When saying that a particular title, or a console or whatever, is better, there's those bunny quotes again, than some other thing, try to take each thing that you're comparing as a whole, rather than just how it's presented. Otherwise, you're comparing apples to oranges instead of playing video games. Then again, what do I know? I don't own either a PS5 or an Xbox Series X, Series S, Series stupid name here. I'm not even that much of a PC gamer, as my computers run on Linux distributions called Pop! OS. Anyway, 
let's stop complaining about graphics versus gameplay and go play something, okay? So again, like I've said before, in the words of my man Tatsu, go play. Here's the Xbox Series X, weighing in with a custom AMD... I've got them wrong, I know I have. Both got the same graphics card. Fantastic. Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Stage Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GK. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Decay. See the show notes for a link.